0: If you're, if you're able, please stand in honor of the word of God as I read from Matthew 20, 17 through 19. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We are finishing reading Matthew. In our reading, we got one more day to finish up the last two chapters. Uh, If you'd like to read along with us, uh, we're getting the New Testament started, so we're just finishing Matthew. Uh, If you start Mark uh, Tuesday, you'll just keep reading right along with us. Read a couple of chapters a day, pray a psalm, and you'll be right with us. Amen? Amen. Amen. (laughs) It's good to spend time in the Word and to read it and to read it together. It's good to preach from a sermon, too, where people are reading those scriptures and, and you know, have, an, you know, a kind of an idea of the context uh, in which I'm preaching from. Last week, I spoke from the Sermon on the Mount, and from there, Jesus continued to speak mostly in parables. And in his parables, uh, some of them were pretty confrontive uh, with the scribes and the Pharisees and religious leaders. And basically, Jesus is going through the rest of Matthew with a lot of confrontation with them. As last week I said, uh, Jesus is that new Moses, bringing the new Torah, and he's speaking in these parables, and the confrontation is on between his authority and the authority of the religious scholars of that day. So our text, how I many you realize this when I got to this and I was reading it? It said that this is the third time Jesus has said this. And I was like, Wow, really? I mean, I just read through all of Matthew, so I went back and read the other times, where he takes his disciples kind of to the side, and he says, Similar to this in our text, you know, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Now, if you had left house and home, uh, some of them wife and children, and you're following uh, this person you believe to be the Messiah, then he starts telling you this, and that doesn 't go along with the story of how you see who the Messiah is going to be i mean they don't they don 't see the Messiah you know being that way i mean uh, the 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 mother of the sons of Zebedees coming up and saying, "Can my son sit at your right and left hand when you're coming into your kingdom?" you know I mean this is their plan, so Jesus says this, and then as you go back and you look at Matthew. Uh, Matthew sixteen twenty one, Jesus began to say this. So Matthew sixteen twenty one says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. So he began there to start telling them, and his teaching and everything he was doing up to that point. Now he began to tell them that he must go up to Jerusalem, and when he goes up, it's not going to be to be inaugurated as king like they think it is going to be, he tells them that he must go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things. We're going to look at that today. We're going to look at the suffering of Jesus, the suffering of many things, the the depth of what the gospel is that the Son of Man has come to suffer. And they don't like those words um, and suffer specifically at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. You have this Jesus presenting what we see now as the gospel. Peter confronts him in that first case and says, may it never be. You know, that's not the story. Let me tell you how the story goes, Jesus. He rebukes Jesus. Jesus kind of rebukes him back. Get behind me, Satan. You have man's interest in mind and not God's. God's interest is for our redemption, and his redemption will require the cost of his only begotten Son. So, again, he tells them in Matthew 17 22 through 23, as they were gathering in Galilee. So, now the setting, they are in Galilee. This is the narrative setting. And Jesus says to them again, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Oh, he's stuck on this story. He's stuck on this. I mean, this is grieving them. And then the third time is today in our text, Matthew 20, 17 through 19. I like this portion. It talks about going up to Jerusalem. The setting is on their way to Jerusalem. It puts together in depth that how the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, how they will condemn him to death. And added to that, Jesus is breaking down now on their way. This is their final journey to Jerusalem. He's breaking it down in more detail. And he's saying that he will be delivered also. They will deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. Specifically, how he will die. And that he will be mocked and flogged before that, before crucifixion that last word is still the same on the third day and on the third day and after three days he will be raised on the on the third day and so we have that that jesus must die so i titled it jesus must be raised and there's a lot involved in that but as we get to the close of matthew right before all this comes to place and this really starts happening in Matthew 26, verse 2. He tells them again, You know that after two days, the Passover's coming. So it's getting down. He's getting narrowing it down now. When he began telling them to now, he's saying, Two days, the Passover's going to happen, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. He's telling them again, that's going to happen. This is the Passover that they are going up to Jerusalem to celebrate. From our text, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. They're going up. They have arrived. There is two days uh, before the Passover, and there's some things they got to get set up and some things that have to happen. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. They're going to celebrate Passover. Passover. Interesting. Passover. Do you know a little bit about Passover? Kind of from, from you know, Exodus 12 and Moses, you know, he was uh, authored by God. Him and Aaron uh, instructed on how to uh, do the first Passover and then how to do it in remembrance. So this was something they had been remembering ever since that time. It was a yearly annual feast celebration. It was the big one. It was a main one and they're going up for Passover. In Exodus 12, we read that uh, God gave these instructions to Moses and Aaron, and he said some of those things. I mean, there's a lot in there, but some of the things is that this lamb should be without blemish. We, We say that in our gospel announcement about the pure life. We just throw that in, the pure life, the pure life of Jesus the lamb without blemish. This was the Passover. You know, I mean, he's like we're going up to celebrate Passover, and he's told them over and over again that the, the Son of Man will be delivered over to be crucified and raised. We're going up to Passover. We're going up to celebrate the time where we take a lamb that is without blemish. And then what God did when he brought judgment down He struck the firstborn. He said, I will strike the firstborn, and I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. He struck the firstborn. Jesus is that firstborn. He is the firstborn one whom God will strike to take out the sins of the world. Upon. He is that firstborn whom he will execute judgment upon upon the cross. He has to. He must. He must be that lamb. He must go to the cross. It will happen. This will happen. He's told him over and over again this will happen. And word the Passover comes from is, you know, God saying the blood shall be a sign for you. You put it there. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's Passover. I will pass over you. Uh, you won't receive the judgment. The judgment won't fall on you. It'll fall on the firstborn of Egypt. But Jesus now, God is giving up his own son, his firstborn, to take and be struck by the Lord, to take the judgments of God upon him for the sin of the world. It's all coming down. What he struck out upon Egypt, upon the firstborn, he is willing and able and going to strike out on his own son, his own firstborn, The blameless, spotless lamb of God. This is the good news of God. Rather than us being struck, the lamb will be struck. And he will be pure and spotless. That means he won't be being struck because of any sin that he did. He'll be perfect, spotless, and blameless without blemish. And yet God will take that pure and spotless lamb and take out upon it all the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, John the Baptist would say, who takes away the sins of the world. He is that Passover Lamb. He will be handed over, the Scripture goes on to say in our text. He's going up to Jerusalem. There's those remembrance of the Passover. And he took the twelve aside and he said that, that... uh, in verse eighteen of our text, see we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over A lot of versions say betrayed delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Who is it is it they 're delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes you see jesus in matthew twenty one has come into jerusalem and and he's gone to send his disciples to get a, a donkey he rides into jerusalem they shout praises as jesus rides into jerusalem they shout hosanna to the king they shout these and the children get in on it and the pharisees get on into rebuking that that conflict is still there That conflict is that the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes. You still see it. They say, tell them to be quiet. We don't like losing this generation, and we don't like losing it to the next generation of these kids. The kids are getting involved shouting Hosanna to the Son of David now, and the Pharisees get indignant. They rebuke Jesus, and Jesus says, if they don't praise me, the rocks well. This is going to happen, and it does. And he receives that praise, and that's just like... How can you do that? Who do you think you are? There's a conflict still believing. He will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. This tension is still with Jesus' authority and the religious authorities. And it comes down to where they say when Jesus comes in and turns over the temple tables and all this happens, they come and confront him specifically and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus says, I'll answer your question if you answer my questions. Whose baptism was John's? And they won't answer. And so Jesus doesn't give them an answer either because either way they answer, they're in trouble with either the people or, you know, with, with God. You know, like, why didn't you follow him then? And the people, because they knew he was a prophet. So they can't answer. And he says, neither will I answer. But he tells them two parables and they get it. They don't get a lot of the parables, but they get some of the parables here right at the end. In in Matthew 21, uh, he asks them a question, and then he tells them this parable. Hey, I want to tell you a parable now. I'm not going to answer your question about by whose authority there's challenge going on, but here's a couple of parables for you. The parable of the two sons. One says, yes, I'll go do it. Doesn't do it. One says, no, I won't do it, but then goes and does it. Which one did the will of my father? That challenge there. Whose accomplishing the will of the Father. And then he tells the parable of the talents. And he does this, and after that it says, Matthew 21, verses 45 through 46, when the chief priest and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived, they kind of got some of this, they perceived that he was speaking about them. He knew in the parables, he was talking about those leaders, those chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, That they are the ones that had not gone out and done the will of the Father. They were the ones that are hiding their talents and not letting their light shine into the lost world. Yes, Jesus said in his woes, the tax collectors and the prophets will get in before you. He hits them with the woes in in Matthew 23. And he comes down hard on them, calling them hypocrites time after time. And then he calls them blind guides. That's more direct than the parables. So you can see this hatred brewing because they do not believe their hearts are hardened. And so in Matthew 26, verse 3, it says, The chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. So this is the high priest, chief priest. And he says, "And, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. They were worried about the people. The people had already praised and shouted his praises that he entered in Jerusalem. He had gone around healing. They were for him. The people were for him. The children were for him. It's the religious leaders that are saying, we got to do this. And we got to do it by stealth. Stealth. King James says subtly. We got to be clever about it. We got to do it in an indirect way. These are the scheming, conniving people. This is how they're doing it. This is how they realize they're going to have to do about it. New American Standard says covertly. Going to have to do it covertly, without open knowledge or being openly displayed. NIV secretly. Do it secretly, not openly or publicly. With stealth, cautious action, silently. With covertness, with sneakiness, sneaking, around, plotting. So Jesus, Matthew tells the story. Matthew tells the story uh, about Judas betraying, that he had gone. in Matthew 26:14, one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. So he's getting in on with them their stealth plan. This is going to help their secret little plan. One of the twelve, ouch, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over? He will be delivered over. He will be betrayed if I deliver him over to you. So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over, to betray him. Real similar words in the Greek. In Hebrew culture, 30 pieces of silver wasn't that much money. Uh, In fact, it was the price paid to a master of a slave when a slave got gored uh, by an ox in Exodus 21-32. Slaves' death was compensated by 30 pieces of silver. I read where at that time, you could make that you know a regular labor in about four months' time. I mean this is kind of what they see as the value. well, what will you you just like, what will you give me? We'll give you thirty pieces of silver. You know this is the value of the life that they see in this Son of man to be betrayed it's It's an ouch, it's part of the suffering being betrayed, ever been betrayed. Especially by somebody close, hurt, wounded. Psalm forty one nine said, Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. This was fulfilled in Judas. He will be handed over, he will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes and the religious leaders. Matthew twenty six, twenty said, When evening came. Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. He knows, and he knows the timing. When we take communion and we read from 1 Corinthians 11.23, Paul instructs communion to be taken like this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed on the night that he was betrayed, betrayal. That's part of his suffering. Matthew twenty-six thirty-one says, Jesus told them this very night, You will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, and he quotes Zechariah, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. You'll all be scattered, but there's that hope in there. I just want to throw that in there as we're going through this. Verse 32 of 26, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. That means they'll be kind of regathered, and he will gather them back, and they will gather back to him in Galilee. But he does say there, I'll strike the shepherd. He'll suffer that. He'll suffer the striking because he's the Passover lamb. He will be stricken, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. It must be. Matthew 26, 34, There's that personal denial of Peter in that text. He goes on to say, "Truly, I tell you, not only will the sheep be scattered, but because Peter goes, I won't be scattered. you know." And he says, "Jesus answered this very night before the, ro- the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Disown that you know me, Peter. You don't know it, but Jesus knows it. And he knows the pain, and he's telling him the pain that lies ahead and the suffering that lies ahead. He must." He must, he will be betrayed over into the hands of the chief priests and the scribes and the religious leaders. But in that arrest that comes after that, when they meet in the garden and they come and arrest him in the stealth of night with the betrayer betraying him with a kiss, and Peter wanting to fight again for it, Jesus says in Matthew twenty six fifty three, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? You don't think I have at my disposal the power of the right hand of God to deliver myself if I want, but He's willingly going. He has told them this must be, this will be, This is the story of the good news. This is how it goes, and this is how it goes down. Trial and condemned by the high priests, scribes, and elders happens in Matthew 26, 57. Those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered it was that night. Matthew 26, 59, the chief priest and the whole council, that's the Sanhedrin were seeking false testimony. They had planned false testimony witnesses against Jesus that they might put him to death. They're after death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. Ever suffer being falsely accused of something? It hurts. Matthew 26:66. What is your judgment? They answered. He deserves death, the council agrees. The religious leaders in the night and their stealth arresting with the betrayal of Judas. They agree that he deserves death. That what he's claiming to be the Son of God is blasphemous, and he deserves death. And it's the direct uh, condemnation of the chief priest. And verse 67 says. They spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Condemned to death by the chief priest and religious leaders. And the next verse of our text says, and they delivered him over to the Gentiles. And that's what happens next. Jesus is delivered over to the Gentiles. Jesus specifically says to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and this is what happens exactly. In Matthew twenty-seven one through two, when morning came, so that was all in the night. Fake trial, false accusers, slapping, spitting Jesus in the face. Peter's in the campfire in the background, denying him three times. The actual denial actually happens. Sheep are scattered. They've run off in the garden after the arrest. Things look bleak and bad, and it just continues to get worse. And Matthew 27, says, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away and delivered him over. Right there, exactly like Jesus said, he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. Delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Matthew 27, 2. And after this, Delivering over in this time where they had Barabbas also, uh, they shout, they would rather have Barabbas than Jesus, the crowd. That's instigated by the chief priest again. Shout that you want Barabbas released. They do. In Matthew 27, 26, it says they released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus delivered him to be crucified. The Gentiles are scourging Jesus. They're flogging him. This flogging, this scourging was a Roman judicial penalty consisting of a severe beating with a multi-lashed whip containing embedded pieces of bone and metal. Now, there's a lot of things I'm going through here. He's going to be mocked next. He's going to be crucified. But there's things here that Some of us might relate to, maybe we've led a real pristine life and we don't relate to any of them, but Jesus is suffering tremendously. I asked around, like, you know, what do you think some of these sufferings might have been? And this suffering uh, in the garden was one of them, that emotional stress of Jesus suffering in the garden. Some of them it's just this, the flogging. It's this flogging. It's being beaten. It's your back being ripped out. Yeah, you might be emotionally strong. You might be able to handle the betrayal and the denials because you trust only in God. But physical pain is physical pain. And when you're getting your back ripped out by a multi-lashed whip to the inch of your life, you know, that is suffering. And Jesus suffered. He's... Mocked Matthew 27, 27, when this happens, it says the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. It's like, oh, I'll get in here, Gentiles. Come on, let's all look at this. And they all got around and they mocked Jesus. He had been turned over to the Gentiles to be mocked. That's the first thing. They stripped him. Stripped him naked. They put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him. Kneeled before him, pretending, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they took the reed out of his hand and struck him on the head. That crown of thorns. This is a bunch of kids just having fun mocking Jesus, isn't it? You know, I mean, just like all out, just ripping the you know, staff from him, bowing down. This is the mocking. Jesus said this would happen. He will be turned over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked. They spit on him, took the reed, struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him again, they stripped him of the robe. They took that back off, put his own clothes back on him and led him away to crucify him. He will be mocked, he will be flogged, and they will crucify him. Crucified, they found a man of Cyrene in Matthew 27, 32. His name was Simon. They compelled him to carry Jesus' cross. Jesus will be crucified. And when, in verse 35 of chapter 27, when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Matthew 27:45. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land. The sixth hour, Jewish days began at six in the evening when the sun set. Twelve o'clock would have been the sixth hour, noon. There had been six hours of the day. That's how their days began, midnight to midnight. So there was darkness about noon. That's the brightest time. The sun directly overhead. All of a sudden, a supernatural darkness falls over the whole land. And it lasted till the ninth hour. That is 3 p.m. And about the ninth hour, that darkness of three hours in that darkness, that heavy judgment wrath of God, that cup of wrath that Jesus said he would drink. Not that he didn't want to, but three times he pleaded that he might not, that this cup would pass from him. But Jesus says, not my will, but your will, and he surrenders to the Father's will. That darkness is upon him upon the cross. He is being crucified upon that tree, that cursed tree, and he's bearing the curse of God. And he cries out in agony and pain of all the suffering, of all of the betrayals, of all of the denials, of all of the mocking and scourging. He is now in darkness bearing the judgment and wrath of God upon himself for the sins of the world, for the sins of everyone who would come to believe in him through faith. He's bearing that and We'll never know how much that was, but we know that he cries out with a loud voice. Matthew says, Eli, Eli, lima sabbatani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken of God, despised of men, forsaken, he cries out. That might be the depth of the pain of it all, of all that he suffered. He's pointing us to Psalm 22. He's fulfilling Psalm 22 and all the pain therein of his suffering. And Jesus dies. He cries out with a loud voice and yields up his spirit in Matthew 27:50. Jesus must suffer, and Jesus must be crucified and die, and he does. Fulfilling perfectly our text today. But there's that last little part after each time. That last little part's never left out in any of them. And on the third day, he will be raised. They must not have had a clue what that meant. I mean, they didn't get the first part. They're like, but, but they kind of, you know, they, they remembered that, you know, now that they've got him dead. And even the chief priest and, and the scribes and the, the leaders realized that he had said that. So in Matthew 27, the next day after his death, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and they said, we remember how that imposter said that while he was still alive that after three days he'll rise. Huh, they remember this, the chief priest. So, you know, uh, therefore order the tomb to be made secure. That means seal it, seal it, at least after, till after three days, lest his disciples go and steal away the body and tell him that he has been raised from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first fraud they believe it's a fraud to beginning this might help uh, perpetuate the fraud so Pilate said to them you have you have the guard you request go and make it secure make it as secure as you can make it as secure as you want Uh, I don't know what you want to guard a dead man for but you know go ahead do it so they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard sealed with the Roman seal this this even seals uh, their fate even more and it seals the, the power of the resurrection even more because this isn't going to stop. No Roman seal is going to stop. No planning of man is going to stop the resurrection of Jesus because he said he must be crucified and I must rise on the third day. And when he said that, that's going to happen. And it happens. Now after the Sabbath chapter 28, we'll read this tomorrow, the final words of Matthew. Toward the dawn of the first day of week, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow, and the fear of him, it's the fear of an angel from God, Struck the guards, and they trembled, and they became like dead men. We can't even handle angels. Much less the glorified Son of God. His appearance, that lightning, cold, white as snow, fear. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. I told him, at least we read four times today, right, from our text. As he said, he has risen. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. Remember in that one text where he said, you know, after they'll be scattered and all the sheep will be scattered. He said, you, you know, I'll go before you to Galilee. I'll rise on the third day and go before you to Galilee. As he said, he's, he's doing that, exactly what he told them. He's going before them to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you. The angel's the messenger. They bring that message. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Ever had both of those (laughs) combined? Fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This happens. He must die he must be raised again. The firstborn was struck so that the firstborn could begin creation all over again through resurrection life. He's that beginning firstborn son of God making everything new. He began it in Jesus and in resurrection. He re- re- reversed so what Tolkien would say from catastrophe. Joaquin was a man of words, and he liked, there wasn't an an antonym, something opposite of of catastrophe. So he said, he invented this word, eucatastrophe. Resurrection. Tolkien, just like is you a catastrophe it's the opposite of everything that had happened in the mocking and the crucifixion the suffering betrayal trial flogging death crucifixion the forsakenness of god bearing the sins of the world it's completely reversed and it all starts over again in the resurrected body of jesus that comes from that tomb and there's no message like this from the, from the angels coming down and sitting on that tomb and shaking the earth and saying with that loud, brilliant, bright light of the power of God and these messengers coming down in angelic form. He has risen, just as he said. He must die. He must be raised. A new creation is beginning in Jesus. Everything that was bad news is being made good news in Jesus. He's reversing the curse and everything that was cursed is now blessed in Jesus. He is blessing all those who will come to him and humbly repent and believe in the gospel. Just repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in this story. What he said, that he must die, that he must be crucified, that he must be mocked, that he must be scourged, And he must rise on the third day is true. It is the good news. He told them over and over again, and then it happened exactly, and Matthew's recording it, happened exactly like he said it would. This is the good news that we proclaim to you. We are witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. This was the message of the apostles. Everything had been made new. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5:17, if anyone is in Christ, he is now a new creation. You are part of the reversed order in Jesus. You are a new species of being that has never existed before. You are empowered with the resurrected Jesus Christ. He dwells within you, and the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. What power dwells in you? What chance does sin have in your life? It's defeated. It's under the blood. He passes over your sin. He sees the resurrected child of God that he purchased with his own blood. He purchased you. You're not your own. You're his. This is the resurrection. This is why he suffered. This is what he saw. This is what Hebrews is saying when he says that for joy He was the author and perfecter of our faith. For joy, what He saw, He bore the burden of the cross. What did He see? He saw you. He saw the purchase. He saw what it would accomplish. I must suffer. I must die. And I will do it. Because I see on the third day I will rise again. And you know what I'll do? I'll bring many sons with me to glory. I won't be the only begotten son of God. I won't just be that. But I'll bring many adopted sons in my kingdom. Sons and daughters, children of God. I see what my blood will purchase. And I see how I will pass over. And God will pass over you. And all the judgment that we rightfully deserve. Because Jesus stood in on our behalf. He stood in our place. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the substitutionary Lamb of God. And that's who the gospel proclaims. That is the gospel of the good news of the cross. That's why we boast only in the cross. Because the cross is the only thing that bought us that new life in Jesus. That's the power of the resurrection, saints. What Christ accomplished on the cross is so massive and the window into the heart of God so big that no one explanation or description of the atonement can tell the whole story. The half has not been told. It's not even close to a half. Jesus, what he bore and what he accomplished on the, on the tree. Because of the atonement and the atonement being at the heart of who God is and what he's done for us, we can never fully exhaust the riches that flow from this event. You see, the gospel isn't the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z. What I'm preaching to you today is the E A to Z. It is all in all. It encompasses everything that God planned in his son. You don't have to preach anything else. You don't have to boast in anything else but the cross of Christ because there is nothing else. Everything else is peripheral. Everything is outward compared to the core of the gospel of what God did for us and his son. And his son said, I must die and I must be raised on the third day. And that's the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we're going to celebrate communion. You know that last supper we call? You know that last Passover feast? You know, they're eating and they're partaking. And Jesus is offering bread and wine. And normally they had a lamb and they roasted it and ate it and we don't hear of a lamb being there and them eating it. Because of course Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the lamb. and When we celebrate communion, uh, we'll celebrate, thank you Gloria. Um, we celebrate Jesus. We celebrate his death until he comes. Whew celebrate what he accomplished in his death. And he had to die to be raised. We remember his death and his resurrection together as a body. We say, yeah, this is my faith is in Jesus. This represents symbols of Jesus' body and his blood. And again, as Paul said, in the night that Jesus was betrayed, all that he suffered, in the night of his betrayal, he took bread at the last Passover. He'd celebrate with his disciples. And he said, This is my body. He took bread. This is my body. Take and eat of it. When you do, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus gave thanks to the Father. And he said, This is my body given for you. Let us partake together. In like manner, he took the cup and he said, This is the blood of the covenant, the blood of the new covenant, given for you for the remission of sins. Blood, once and for all, no lamb can ever be offered again. Jesus is the final sacrifice. His blood alone cleanses and forgives. It is given for the remission of sins. Do this and drink of it. And as often as you do, do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the cup together.